Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds and those who don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where launching a new project is like the first day of a great adventure. Maps out, compass set, and eyes on the horizon of possibilities. We just want to avoid any rapid, unscheduled disassembly, right? <laughs> yeah, I love the PR team at SpaceX, one of the greatest lines ever. Well, I am your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders grow from traction to scale. Here, growth is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. Last week, I spoke to a group of about 60 CEOs, all of them leading larger companies, say 100 million up to multi-billions. The key topic was about staying agile, nimble, and relevant. So guess what? If you're a startup, small company, and afraid of getting crushed by big companies, the big companies are afraid of being outmaneuvered by small ones. Every single business stage has strengths and weaknesses. So wherever you are, maximize your strengths. Probably, I don't know, 20 years ago, I read a book by Lou Gerstner called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? And Lou Gerstner led IBM from the edge of failure to become a powerhouse again. I spent time at RJR, RJ Reynolds, now RJR Nabisco, Amex, some pretty big companies. He's an old McKinsey guy as well. But, you know, I shared one of my insights with a group. It was not a quote from the book, but it's one of my thoughts around it. And I think it fits you all today as well. And that was that growing bigger doesn't mean losing your startup soul. And it's something that I never, ever want to lose, no matter how big companies get. So let's dig into how savvy leaders stay nimble and hungry as their company scales up, even into the nine and 10 figure territory. Sound good? I think at any size, it's tempting to get complacent once you find a winning formula. You just want to ride that thing off into the sunset. Hold on to it. Keep doing it, right? Your startup may have disrupted one industry, but a constantly changing market means fresh startups want to eat your lunch tomorrow, wherever you are. Yesterday, point solutions were all the rage, right? And today, it's all about having a suite of products all in one. So how do industry leaders stay scrappy and innovative even after they make it big? How do they avoid stalling out when they achieve success? And I think it comes down to two words, relentless reinvention. Take Lego, for example. They've been around 75 years or so. For a long time, they were their core bricks. They made Legos. That's what they did. Kids bought them, built whatever we imagined. When you grew up with them, you probably did too. And they could have stayed there, making the same thing over and over. But markets developed around them. Digital markets, media, and quite a bit more. And so what did they do? They expanded. Video games, movies, robotics kits, and quite a bit more. Constantly reinventing what Lego means to each new generation of kids and families. A Lego set today is nothing like it was when I was a kid. And to adopt this innovative mindset, here are three keys. First, make time for exploration. Book in thinking time or dream days on your calendar to imagine adjacent markets or completely new offerings. 
Don't let the urgent crowd out the important long-term work of staying fresh, staying on the forefront. Protect and schedule time to think beyond today. No limits. What could the world look like with your solution? What adjacent problems could you solve? What's the next logical step a user takes with your solution? What's the step they take right before? Second, we want to tap everyone for ideas. And I mean everyone. And it could be interns, support staff, because they might see consumer needs and possibilities that executives are blind to. Now, diversity of thought across roles and backgrounds fuels reinvention. Create a culture and feedback channels that welcome ideas from the entire company. Because those closest to the end user or the client day to day usually have the best insights. And as you grow bigger and bigger, that ain't you. Finally, rapidly prototype. How quickly can you do some market tests? And I love testing before we've built anything at all. Don't know how to do that? Let's talk. Not every experiment will succeed, but see the ones that do resonate can shape your future. And then move from idea to minimum viable product super fast to gather real world feedback. Survey responses, honestly, don't count. Dollar votes do. It's a difference in building a product that's really cool and one that is actually useful and makes money. We talked about that very concept a few weeks ago with founder Alex Boyd. Missed that episode, go check it out. But the key is to never see your startup success as the end goal or your scale-up success or your unicorn status. Your disruption is just the beginning. By embracing relentless reinvention, industry leaders can keep their scrappiness, agility, and their soul alive. Remember, growing bigger doesn't mean losing your startup soul. Our founder on Tuesday was Chris Strahl, CEO and co-founder of Knapsack, an enterprise software platform that unites product, design, and engineering teams in one workspace. We talked about the founder journey, choosing the right ICP fundraising, and team alignment. Great stuff. Our expert guest last week was Kenneth Berger, who coaches startup leaders to prevent burnout, take a stand for the life they want, and leave their unique mark on the world. We talked about how to stay mentally sharp, prevent burnout, and the big ask blueprint. If you missed either one of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Janet Geeson, the architect behind some of the fastest growing SaaS ventures. She runs a consultancy guiding B2B tech firms in launching groundbreaking SaaS products. With a track record like catapultingmetallic.io from 1 million to 50 million ARR in record time and steering initiatives at Shutterstock and American Express. Her expertise is a beacon for new business development and launches. Welcome, Janet Geeson. Hey, Janet, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Hey, Jeff, thank you for having me. Today is all about launch strategies and planning. And so if you're thinking about launching a SaaS, this show is great for you. Or maybe you have a product and you're launching something new. So tell me about uh, your experience. You've done multiple product launches. Uh, what do people need to be thinking about when they're either bringing a new product to market or they're adding on to an existing product or bringing something new out? Absolutely. Yes. I've been working on launches across multiple industries for many years. And now that's what my consulting practice is focused on. So I work with different B2B tech companies on launching new SaaS solutions and products within them. And the first thing 
that I work with folks on is what is the goal of your launch? What do you want your launch to accomplish? What is success? Because there's so many different things you may be going for in a launch. One of them is, of course, yes, one of them is, of course, pipeline and revenue. But how near term is that revenue? Is this something where you're missing a window of opportunity right now and it's going to drive immediate pipeline? Or is this more of a awareness kind of longer term play where you're trying to get your name out there, disrupt the competition a little bit? And this is more about media, press coverage, courting investors, that kind of thing, which may be more of that long tail. So thinking about those goals and measuring success even before you plan out your launch is really important. Really smart to think about that and the, the why. Because when we think about a launch, it's normally just why I want sales. But there's yes. so much more. It's a lot deeper than that. Yes, exactly. Starting with the why, then the what, then you get to the how. You want to launch it to market because hopefully it should flow from that why. So who should be really involved in launch? Is it the founder? Is it a team? Are there specific people that, that should be or shouldn't be part of the launch team? That's a really great question. I think some of it depends on the size of company, but you really want someone that's leading this launch effort. Someone who's inherently cross functional because you really want the three legs of the stool to be working together in the launch, product, marketing, and sales, right? So you want someone who can almost be the conductor of all of this and make sure that everything's moving in tandem for the launch in a unified way. So I've seen that sometimes be the founder because the founder may be that way and can flex across product and go to market really well. Or I've seen it be an operations person, or if you're large enough and have a product marketing team, That's a great place to do it, too, because those product marketers should be sitting in between all of those functions and areas and figuring out that product market fit and making sure the launch all rallies around that. So it really needs to be a point person that can ensure that cross-functional collaboration. I've seen those be the most successful. That makes sense. How different is it with somebody that is a company that is launching a a new product versus you have, say, a mature, semi-mature SaaS, and then you're adding something onto it? Or maybe it's not even a SaaS. Maybe it's an agency, and you're launching the SaaS out of that. How, How are those different, or how are they the same? So it's really interesting. In both cases, you really need to do some research ahead of time, right, to make sure that first for a new product, to make sure that you have your target in mind, your segments, everything you think in terms of who will buy. But what's interesting is when you're making a pivot, you already have an entrenched customer base and you need to figure out, okay, am I fishing in this same pond, right? But there'll be customers that take the ride with us, moving from installed to SaaS, or you're really going for a new market. Like maybe you have industries where they need something installed or or downloaded or on-prem, right? And you want to go to different industries for your SaaS solution. So you do have a leg up in a bit of a way because you have that installed base of customers. Mm -hmm. You may have all of these functions already that exist in your company, and you may have more of an existing budget. But where you're held back a little bit is you may have some established ways of doing things, right? And you also may not be as nimble, right? So you may have to break a little glass to try and really launch something brand new and pivot out of something that exists. So there's kind of pros, cons on either side. Do you see that often where they have one specific target market for their current product and they completely switch to for a new product? Yeah, it's interesting. So I'll give an example. So I worked on a SaaS platform called Metallic, 
for data backup and recovery. So this came from the company Commvault that has been known in data backup forever, but started more in on-prem and installed. So Vitalik was the SaaS solution to brain in the cloud and back up all your SaaS data, but the whole solution was a SaaS platform. And initially, I worked on the launch for this, and initially we went completely mid-market because we thought, you know what, the enterprises and a lot of these more regulated industries want the installed on-prem version. It had to be client-managed for them, right? And then let's go after mid-market, certain industries that are less regulated, and see if we can get the SaaS solution there. Turns out a lot of those enterprises wanted to make the move, right? Because they were doing things like switching to Office 365. Sure. Instead of the installed version, they wanted to back up all that data. As the workforce became more distributed with COVID and remote work, they wanted to back that up in the cloud. So we actually saw more of the existing market pivot than we thought. Originally, it was more, let's go after a different segment. So you have to learn with the market as you're going, even if your research says one thing, sometimes you can start to see another pivot based on the market. Yeah. And Metallic was a massive success and a million to 50 million, six quarters. Mm-hmm. What do you think contributed to that? What were some key strategies that, that made that happen? That was a very fast growing SaaS offering. Yes. And that's amazing. It, it probably came down to two things. The first was a really good understanding of product market fit. There was a robust research effort done leading into it. And this was a pretty substantial investment, like an incubation team and a group really running at this and knowing this was a big investment for the company. Like I mentioned about the companies all transitioning to more AWS, Azure, GCP, we were able to back up that data more easily through a SaaS platform than a lot of the other solutions out there. And so we were able to really tack on to a lot of the movements that were already happening in the market. I would say the second is the go-to-market. One of the key decisions that you'll need to make in a launch is what style of go-to-market. Is Mm, it more product-led, sales-led, partner-led? And one of the keys to Metallic's success, in my opinion, was making partners a big part of it. Because channel partners that really wanted to be part of the SaaS wave, right? Or yeah. distributors. And and we had a partnership with Azure directly that we were able to nice. negotiate. So a lot of the partnerships were key, but I've seen a lot of folks think, oh, it's just easier to go through our sales team and sell direct. When actually there may be partners that can really help lift that. Because if you think about the buyer for data backup, it's an IT leader or someone on the IT team they may have partners they call up and say, what do you recommend? Or that they reach out to. And we want to be right there. with right. Partners saying, Did you hear about Metallic? Did you hear about this new SaaS solution? So partners were a key area of the go-to-market. And you've done a number of partner programs. What is it that makes a great partner program? And how do you know if that's the right strategy for your launch? Oh, that's a great question. I'll answer the second one first. How to know if it's the right strategy you really need to look at your buyer. Now, whether it's enterprise and it's a buying team that'll be deciding whether Mm -hmm. to buy this or it's mid-market and maybe fewer buyers involved, how much do they rely on partners? Are they very, is your buyer very wedded to the AWS ecosystem, for example, or Databricks or Snowflake or any of the tools out there? And then how often do they buy from the channel or do they buy from marketplaces or really look at how involved the buyer is with partners to understand if you should have a partner play. If you're seeing 
that they're ver- that your buyer is very comfortable working directly with companies, directly with a sales rep, then a direct approach could make more sense. Or if you're seeing that your buyer doesn't want to talk to anyone, like maybe they yeah. just want to click and buy, right? So you really need to know how your buyer likes to buy because then that will determine your go-to-market. I've launched a lot of partner programs. I think they can really help accelerate, but they're tricky, especially if you're launching it from scratch. Both, obviously, you and the partner need to get a lot of business value out of it. So you have to make sure that when you're coming to a partner, what is there enough in it for them, right? And do they understand the business model, the benefits for them? And have you communicated that in your pitch? In terms of launching partnerships, I've structured it where you could have a design partner first. A partner is more aligned with your mission and objective. And they're your design partner. They're your first one. They help you really figure out the model and maybe you give them a discount. You give them you know, more beta access, right? Or maybe you have an exclusive program that companies apply to. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do this so that you start to really get it right as you roll out your partner program. I like that. Is it a lot different doing a partner program and creating, launching that versus launching a product or a campaign? I would say yes, because when you're launching a product and a campaign, you are very focused on organizing all the functions internally to make sure you can reach your customer. And you can it's almost a bit easier because you're within the same company. Suddenly when you have yeah. partners, you are influencing those orgs to work with you and how in the structure and the way you want to launch. So you're not only navigating your own org to make sure you have the right stakeholders, you're navigating your partner orgs as well to make sure they're yeah. all on board. They'll launch with you. So that's why you really need the business development team engaged, your partnerships team engaged right from the beginning so they can help you right? Or corp dev, whoever you have working on that. So they can really help you as you're launching, navigate those partner relationships so that they're ready. Because partners can also bring a bunch of resources, right? They have a sales team. They may have their own press team if they think this is press worthy. They may want to do their own go-to-market with you. And the closer you stay to that, the stronger you'll be together versus them going off and making their own decisions about how to launch. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What is it that makes partner programs not successful? I've seen a lot of them that have worked really well and a lot of them that have just completely fallen flat. And what's the difference there? A lot of it does come down to business model. I think you, I have seen companies try business models that didn't make sense for their partner ecosystem. So for example, if in the channel, if you have a set of channel partners that have to do margin deals, that is their structure. Rolling out referral fee or rolling out something that isn't as relevant to the to those companies will be trickier to land unless the volume of those referral fees will drastically outweigh the margin they would get. So right. that is tricky if the business model doesn't feel as relevant. Or there are things like partner investment, partner MDF, partner marketing funds. If they see that's not as applicable and there won't be as much co-marketing or there won't be as much of that go-to-market support from sales, that in addition to the business model can can make it not as successful. Because it's one thing to say you have a partnership. It's another thing to commit your sales team to do cross-training, yeah. co-selling, co-marketing, you know, because you could say it, but if you don't actually live, it's going to be harder to make it successful. Yeah. 
So how do you get the, the other sales teams bought in? They're, they're doing their own thing. How do you get them to um, you know, promote your stuff as well? So it depends what the objective is. So I've worked on partner programs where the other sales team, they're able to sell more of their own product by selling yours. That's a yeah. great one, right? Because it comes with it, right? That's great because they see it as, oh, awesome. When I sell this partner's product, I then make more with our own product and everything works very well. Then that's great. That's like the optimal. <laughs> but you also need to think about if that's not the case, what are the right incentives? How much are reps actually compensated on that? Is there a SPIF program, like a spot bonuses, those kinds of things in place to have a focus on a partner? Also make it easy for them to sell it. I've seen when you're doing co-selling with like an AWS or a Microsoft or the big guys, they have whole established processes where sales can see the different products from partners. If you're not part of that listing or embedded in their system, or you're just not visible, you're not there, right? Yeah. And there are even though it doesn't even have to be the big hyperscalers, everyone has a sales process. And if you're not actually sure. embedded into it, then it's tricky. So I'd say it's both the compensation model and the process. Yeah, it makes sense. Metallic was a massive success. If you have other ones that you know, maybe is a little bit difficult getting off the ground or, you know, what are the challenges? I think launching anything is hard, especially something new or if you have an established product and you're trying to, to launch something on top of it. What kind of challenges have you seen companies face and how have you overcome those? Yeah, so this is another good one. A client that I work with right now is called Click. They're an analytics and data integration platform. And they have an awesome set of SaaS tools across your kind of data to action spectrum, right? And they already had their SaaS products in market. But one thing they weren't talking about in market was all their AI capabilities in the SaaS products. Within their SaaS analytics platform, they actually have a no-code machine learning tool. Wow, that's now. really cool. Yes. And it's like part of, it's something you like get within the analytics tool set, but this wasn't really super well-known in the market. And obviously with the wave of AI innovation out there, getting this out was really important. So one thing that I've helped them with is how do we launch that in the market in a new way? And we've done that very recently to kind of reposition their cloud offerings around the AI capabilities. We branded the AI capability layer, gave it a name make sure people knew what it does and also how this technology has been in there for years, right? Obviously it's accelerated wow. with all this innovation, but it's, sure. it's already there. So this launch was interesting where this was more just people didn't know. And yeah. so how do you frame a launch around repositioning and new messaging, taking the tech you have and really making the messaging, the go-to-market so much clearer to your customers and your partners? So this one was really a great one to work on because when you have all this rich tech and awesome stuff to use, it's now just making those tough calls about how to get that out to the market in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that all the time. I feel like the world's best kept secret. We got all this awesome stuff, but nobody knows about it. And, and you know, sometimes they don't know what kind of awesome stuff they have. This is like click. They built this thing inside their product and, and that is something that has huge marketability but it's just, it's inside there, it's buried and nobody knows that it, it exists. But then you take that and you pull it out and highlight it. And now it, it's like a, a whole new wave of growth comes out of that. Do you see that often? And how do we know if we have gold like buried in our businesses? I That's a great question. I think 
a lot of SaaS companies build amazing tech and have to figure out which tech to lead with, right? Yeah. Because, because it's almost like you can have too All much, too many things going on. So I really think it goes back to that coordination, making sure that the product teams are really closely aligning with sales and marketing to get those feedback loops going. And it's easier when you're smaller because you can have war rooms and you can get all your functions together, even if you're all remote and distributed. As you get bigger, it becomes tougher yeah. because everyone kind of starts going in their own direction a little bit. You have to bring everyone back together. What are we hearing? What would be the next kind of primary area to feature? I also think it's really valuable to loop in with your comms and your analyst relations team, if you have one of those, because they're going to hear what's going on from the industry analysts, from the media as well. Like they're going to be coming back with different feedback loops than maybe sales is. So making sure to get more of that market feedback in different places. So you can go back to your tech and really look at, okay, what is most applicable to these use cases that we're hearing about that are emerging? How do we get that collaboration? Different departments, especially as we start getting bigger, how do we yes. get that cross-collaboration between apartments? How about departments? <laughs> and, and get that effective communication. Sometimes it feels like apartments. And <laughs> yes. those departments, they're all siloed out. How do we get them talking and that communication going? And so you really have alignment, not only during launch, but all the time around product and the, the market and the, the customer. Yeah, I think this is fostering that kind of culture, but also like fostering a way to do that, like a process for that. So I'll start with launches, a couple of things that I've seen be successful for that cross department and apartment. One thing is to really have a task force almost working on the launch. You may have one person that's in like running the launch plan, but if you have a task force approach where you have someone from each function that is running that launch, they are your stakeholder, your evangelist in that function, and they will be contributing their portion of the plan. And then you may have a broader working team on the launch, but if you know who's your point and they're representing that whole function, it makes it a lot easier. And this is the smallest thing, but I'm, I'm telling you, it makes a big difference. Having everyone in the same document. I've seen so wow. many times yeah. you have a launch and like, Marketing does their own marketing plan. Sales does their own sales plan. Product and engineering has their own rollout and it's tied to Jira or whatever tool they're using, right? And then you may have comms do a media plan separately. If you force everyone to merge plans and put them in the same file, like your same source of truth, suddenly they all have to go together. And the task force and your launch lead can look at this and say, oh, I see a conflict here, like sales isn't targeting some of these same accounts as marketing. Why? What's going on here? There's this plan for this launch is diverging in different ways. I think that's a small thing, but it really helps. And then for broader, this is a tough one. Obviously orgs handle it different ways, but I've seen operating committees be really helpful, like having people sit on an operating committee. And I know it sounds formal, but it's really just another way for different functions to come together around key topics, right? Like maybe the operating committee is how are we approaching AI or how are we looking at our NPS or how are we like, maybe they have topics or maybe it's overall run the business operating committees, but setting those up, having a cadence, having topics, having someone manage those. It's just a great forum for people to spot those areas where maybe different functions are running in different directions. 
If you could use some innovation and encouragement from fellow SaaS founders, check out Champion Leadership Group. It is the ultimate resource for B2B SaaS founders and C-suite executives to continue to develop themselves, scale their companies, and never walk alone on the journey. We're kicking off a new growth accelerator scale-up this month, and I would love for you to be a part of it. You've navigated the startup storms and emerged victorious. Now it's time to elevate from success to significance. Zero fluff, just the hard-hitting strategy you need at the right time. We focus on capital-efficient growth, profitability that lasts, and achieving the kind of valuation that's not just impressive, but impactful. You'll gain access to a network of peers, custom growth roadmap, and the kind of operational excellence that frees you to focus on what really matters. If you're ready to turn it up to 11, visit championleadership.com, where leaders evolve and companies transform. Apply to join the next cohort now. It is the time to scale up. Championleadership.com. That makes sense. We've definitely made that mistake in in launches and where everybody's doing their own thing. Everybody's working really hard doing their thing. and uh, But then that coordination is lacking because we weren't working in the same document. I think that is a really key tip there. Yeah, Super helpful. I think everyone's made that mistake where just someone didn't realize someone else in another department made a different decision then that might be reflected in your go-to-market and it might be out there and you're like, oh my gosh, how did we miss that? Like, it's hard because these are can be big organizations. This can be moving very fast. But yeah, having everyone planning together at least can help. Yeah. A lot of over-communicating. The SaaS market is getting increasingly competitive. There's so many new launches and I think AI has is, is made that times 10. What advice do you have for B2B tech companies that are trying to differentiate their products in the market and, and get out there and break through the noise and, and have a great launch? I like that question too. I think right now it's really important to have substance over hype. I know that may be the most mm. basic thing ever, but I think we've come out of a time where hype and potential and all of this was really celebrated. When I think now, certainly investors and the whole VC world is looking for more value and stability and substance, right? Mm -hmm. But customers are too. But you can, I'll just pick on AI as an example, because there's so much AI washing going out. If you say you have AI, what does it do? What problems does it solve? How strong is it? Is it secure? Does the data have bias? And how are you addressing all these things for customers? Because customers at first, when all this has been rolling out over the past six months, year, might just be like, oh, I just want to check the box that it has AI when I buy it because I need to make sure it does. But now customers are asking really smart and savvy questions. So you need to have the substance behind your launch. And I think that helps you differentiate because a lot of launches can be built on hype. It's great to have some hype to make like a fun name or a fun campaign that people can grab onto. But if you don't have the real substance under it, I think it's really hard to differentiate. Otherwise, it's just vapor. And from the outside, how does somebody know if somebody, if a company has that substance or if it is hype? And how do you break through those? Anybody can say anything in the marketplace. So if you are substance, how do you overcome somebody else's hype without that? Oh, that's, that's it seems like they look the same. I think the the great thing is to show, don't tell. If you have Mm. your sales team able to really show value early on in that process, whether it's through demos or through a POC, or you can get into your trial right away, you can show aha moments. 
really early on, that's really critical, I think, to proving that this is real, this is tangible, this is helping you solve a problem for your business. And that can help people, I think, really stand out. Also, in general, just addressing the pain point you're solving. It goes to the back to basics, find the customer need and fill it. Just really harp on that pain point that you're solving for the customer. Mm. Be maniacally focused on it because then that's another way to differentiate and stand out. The last one is maybe show you're dependable too. If you say you're going to launch something within the next quarter, it launches. And even those in your pipeline will see that, right? You've talked about this new feature. That's awesome. It's coming. You have a sense of what your roadmap is. Maybe you publish some of it. Then the then your prospects and customers see, oh, there it is. This was talked about. This was going to help me with this problem. And there it is. So you're dependable and you're being transparent. I like that. That's so important. Dependability, transparency, and uh, and being there. But it's so hard to do because the risks of announcing something before it launches, or <laughs> you have to give yourself enough breathing room a little bit there. Yeah, definitely. There have been times where we've made those announcements and then Dev is working all night long for yes. the week before launch to hit it. And then we've gone the opposite way where something is completely done and we're, we've waited to even announce it until it's done because it was so big and important. Yes. Sometimes that's crazy. Sometimes the tech can be done first and the go-to-market needs to catch up to build those campaigns, to build a digital media plan, to promote it, to do a press plan. Sometimes everyone in product engineering is just waiting, like we want to release this, but go-to-market, you have to enable sales. You have to have enablement. So it's that's why getting all those pieces to work together is so hard. And I know you've experienced that firsthand. And then when the opposite happens, go to market, teams are all ready to go and the product's not launched yet. You almost have to go back to, okay, what is the definition of done on this product? (laughs) Scramble mode. When will it be ready? Are we now releasing this more as a preview? Yeah, it's a preview. It's a phased approach. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beta. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Crazy. How do we spin this? (laughs) Yes. But you then have to adjust your whole launch strategy. I have seen folks leverage early access programs really well or something like a preview program or even a like tech preview days where they let folks access some of the things early to pressure test a little bit. I think that's a great way because if you're not sure something's ready, it's I think it's great to have that pressure testing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really good. And and especially early on, people are much more forgiving, especially if they're getting a sneak peek or getting a, a preview of what's coming and they get to use it and you can get some good quotes or press out of that. Yes, definitely. And even getting customer feedback ahead of time or better yet, customer quotes or testimonials ahead of time, that always helps to have people actively using it. Yeah. You've done a lot of launches and I think it's probably different in small companies like first time launch. They don't have the team, they don't have the press, they don't have the departments, some of the challenges that we've talked about. So what challenges do you see like for emerging entrepreneurs when they're launching a SaaS product and how do you guide them through that? Maybe first launch, they've got it, they're ready to go to market and now what? That's that's a good one, a good pivot. So I think what I've, when I've worked with startups, I've worked with a couple smaller companies and the tricky thing there is it's almost finding a way to do a more grassroots launch, depending on amount of funding, because you really have to figure out how to optimize for the funding you have and how big you want to go. 
it also could be, you know what? We have investors and we really want to make sure we get the press coverage. So we are going to work with an agency one time on this launch, get this to have more of the media buzz. And that will then help the sales team get that foot in the door because they can include those articles in their sales pitch emails and they can say what gives them more clout rather than being emerging. So I've seen for a smaller, and I'm thinking of a couple in particular, I've seen it's good to have a very specific goal in mind because then you can focus your money there. You can focus your resources there rather than trying to do the full surround sound, every function involved, every area involved. It just doesn't make sense because you may not have a large enough team or budget to do that. What is a good budget? And maybe that's like asking like, how much is a car? It's such a wide range. What what should we think about? Maybe it's a percentage of revenue or dollar amounts or, or size of the launch or platforms. How do we think about budget and how do we make sure that we have enough to, to make sure that we reach our goals? So there's a huge, there's a huge range for this. I worked on launches with partners at American Express in their B2B group. That is, you're talking a <laughs> very different type of budget for, for Amex. But so for something like Product Hunt, when you are smaller, that can be a smaller budget. The thing is, though, you don't always see that directly in Pipeline. That is a little bit more of an awareness play. So I would really look at the tactics because if you are saying, you know what, the purpose of this launch is to be able to get sales what they need to be able to race at these target accounts. Then it's looking at, okay, how much does that enablement cost? Do we need to produce new materials? Do we need to get them on a new, do we need to do something different in the CRM for them? Do we need to get new cadences in place? Then do we need marketing campaigns retargeting those accounts to support sales? And then you budget for that, like your digital campaign. So rather than say it should be a percentage of revenue, I'd look at what are your goals for it? Then what are the tactics and can you get to an ROI on those tactics? That's how I would look at it. Because percentage of revenue, you can do that for your whole sales spend and you can do that for your whole marketing spend. It's very hard to do that for a launch point in time then that should become part of your marketing and sales cadence overall. That's really helpful in, in thinking about it that way. And what is a good ROI? Is there a standard? And, and I don't know, maybe there's not. I don't think there's a standard. And the reason I'm saying that is because it really depends on your funding situation and your overall ROI of marketing. I've worked on launches where there was a competitive threat and you are working mm. on trying to get in front of something happening with the competition. And the ROI is less of a science. You just have to get the message out there to prevent a threat. So that's why for a launch, it's difficult to go with an ROI. I would try to match it to your current marketing campaign ROI if you can. If you have a pack that you're going for, I would try to match it if you can. Maybe give it a little flexibility because it's a one-time bigger spend item, but that's the only benchmark I would probably give is to match your existing marketing. Yeah, that's really helpful to think about it that way. So we've got our tech. We're ready to launch. We've got our secret weapon, Janet, that has got everything all (laughs) dialed in and we are ready to go. And we launch. How do data and analytics play into that? How do we know if it's successful 
and how do we make informed decisions along the way? Do we add more? Do we accelerate? Do we change tactics? What does success look like and how do we measure it? So first thing, before I get to success, first thing on launch day, just I would make sure everyone knows what's happening when. Have your what's, That's important. Ha- what's happening throughout the day when, and then what's happening in that maybe week, whenever that kind of rolling time period is right after, because there's going to be activities that don't happen on launch day. There's going to be things that happen after. Maybe there's a campaign that runs for a certain amount of time. What I've typically worked on and what I've done with like mentors and other colleagues is you have to look at those first few days really closely. What's happening? Is the message resonating? Are you like, are you getting press coverage? Are you getting clicks within your marketing? Are you seeing new meetings set up for sales, right? Are the, if you have SDRs, are those cadences working? You really have to look at those first few days and it's almost good to be ready to do an end of week report. Just be ready. Whoever's doing that launch, do the end of week report. Look at what was successful, what wasn't, because you might need to change some things. And then do it again, maybe two weeks after, maybe one month. And then if it's a launch that's critical, it should fold into your overall marketing. This could become an always-on campaign. Like, for example, yeah. Meta- just to go back to Metallic, yes, that was a launch in a moment in time, but then it had more permanent place in a, in terms of marketing campaigns, planning, sales motions, all of that. Because if a launch can't have a permanent place somewhere, it really is only a point in time. Right. Yeah, I don't know that it makes sense to, to necessarily do it unless it is going to be part of your ongoing strategy. If Is it even worth launching if it's not? Yes, that's the, and a really important question to ask. And I feel if it's in the case of a competitive threat, probably yes, even though because there's some yeah, things you just do to drown out a competitor in the market. But there are a lot of cases where if this isn't going to be something you're investing in more broadly, why are you launching it? It's, and that goes back to the why from the beginning. We're coming full circle. Just yeah. make sure you can keep this going rather than launching for launch's sake. And then back to your data question, with SaaS, you have so much data available in the product. And I yes. think that's the tough thing is how much of it to use. And I often see that the product data isn't getting back to the CRM, even in small companies, right? Like the product data isn't connecting because it's hard to do. So you have to figure out a way, how can we surface this usage information to sales so they can act accordingly? If we see that a customer turned on this new feature or joined this trial or tried something we've been wanting them to try, how can sales know that so they can, or customer success and have an informed conversation? So using the product data is really important. There are tools that really help with that. Hendo, WalkMe, in terms of the onboarding and seeing what people do. So even if you can't do it yourself in the product, you could put a layer on top that right. does it. But it's so important to get that product data. And I'm sure you've seen that too. It's That's like gold. It is. And I think that's one of the ways that you can surface those features that are magic is watching how they're using them. And you may roll it out and we, we put this feature in here and didn't think anything of it, but it's the thing that everybody's gravitating to. They're using it constantly. They go back to it over and over again. Hmm, maybe that's launch worthy. Yes, exactly. If you see that's your aha moment, maybe this is something that should be its own its own area. When you don't have to brand everything, people think, do I need to name this feature? Do I need to brand it? Only maybe if it is critical, if it's critical and differentiating, right? Let's say you have 
something that's very differentiated in an algorithm <clears throat> or in the platform or in a way that you do something in the SaaS solution, you could brand that and you could roll that out, right? Even though it's already been there, but just make sure people know it exists. Maybe you invest more in it, add new features to it, make it more robust, and then you can do a build a go to market around that. So it's interesting. There can be net new launches, but there can also be those repositioning ones or repackaging or adding to something to make it a lot more useful to customers. Yeah, I think that's something that's overlooked a lot is you know, we, we live with our products all the time. And yes. as the, the market changes, something becomes hot. And we're like, well, we've been doing that forever. Can we really make a big deal about it? Can we do a press release about that thing? Because it's been in there for three years. But then you're like, hey, you have an AI-powered, no-code builder. Hello. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's why it's – for thinking about the press, it's really important to either have a press agency or a press person or even if you're a startup, maybe it's an advisor that understands the press because they can help you figure out what's new news. Because the thing yeah. is that – a lot of times, if you're repackaging something, you want to add to it and maybe make it add a new interface, make it easier to access and use. Do a lot to it before bringing it to the press. Like that could be another way. Or if it is repackaging something that exists, but maybe it is new news. If it's never been announced, if it's been like there and never actually been announced to market, maybe it can be that new news, right? So I think it's good if you do want to go that route of press to have someone that's trusted so that you aren't sending things to reporters that won't be relevant or trying to pitch in the wrong direction. So I think that's so important of someone you trust in the press area. That's great feedback in thinking about that and, and finding gold in, inside our products. I'm really excited about launches. I think we should do one. So imagine you have unlimited resources, time, what innovative SaaS product would you love to see someone develop and maybe do and, and launch and why? I have a couple that I have been thinking about. One I think about all the time that there really isn't fit for purpose launch planning software. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. But yeah. with every company I work with, whether it's in Asana, Trello, Smartsheet, I end up having to customize and build something because it's not really built for cross-functional launch collaboration. A lot of the tools are built for, I think maybe because it's easier to sell into one org, but more built for marketing plans or yes. built for sales. It's not really as cross-functional when operations really need something like that. Product marketing really needs something like that. Maybe there is something and I just haven't, <laughs> anyone wants to send me an idea. But, and then another one I've been thinking of is every company I work with spends forever on decks, no matter what, like building presentations for everything. And there's got to be a better way now with AI. I'm seeing some of it start to pop up, but yep. how yep. can we automate more of this? It feels like you've got these amazing, talented people just building decks for their right. executives <laughs> or for, it's so like crazy. So it would be great to have just like the killer app to use that like older phrase, like for deck building, that really makes this easy. Again, I bet people are working on it, but that's probably what I'd do if I had all the time and resources as I would build the killer <laughs> app for decks because it's crazy. Awesome. <laughs> there are a few of them out there. You know, if you're listening right now, you need to call Janet and say, hey, we want to launch this and get it out there. <laughs> 
there, there are a automate few. it. Automate the whole yes, thing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's what we all want. And if you know, if we could just speak it and, and have the presentation built. That would be fantastic. Yes, or like I've drawn this. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, just make it easier. Here's this whiteboard. Put it in a deck. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of the the new generative AI is getting really good, where you can sketch something and it will put that into a photorealistic setting, yes, or even a terrible drawing like is... what I would put up there. It's pretty impressive. It's all becoming real. So I think yes. now is the time to have the, I was actually just looking at a couple of like the new things that are coming out for this. The tech is here. So now it's just maybe putting all the interfaces on it. You know? That's right. Well, where can people learn more about you online? Oh, sure. So I have a consulting website. It's called jetpathconsulting.com. My, my company is called Jetpath, obviously, because you associate launches with a takeoff, but I wanted I it to be that. like, growth, but with direction. So that was the jet path. So <laughs> and look me up under jet path consulting and feel free to reach out. And we'll make sure and link that on the show notes and uh, your socials as well. All right. Great. Thank you so, so Jen- much, Jeff. Yes. It's been so great having you on the show. Thanks for being on SAS fuel. Yeah. Great to be part of this. Thanks again, Janet, for coming on the show and sharing your insights and giving us a peek behind product launch success. Absolutely exceptional. You can learn more about Janet at jetpathconsulting.com. And of course, check her out on social as well. Such a cool company name too, Jetpath. That's awesome. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes, including a link to Jetpath Consulting, are available at sasfuel.com. And of course, check us out on YouTube as well. Full episodes, shorts, outtakes, and quite a bit more. And share the podcast. Everyone who shares this week gets a countdown coffee mug. Fill it up and watch the launch sequence begin. By the time it's empty, you're cleared for takeoff or at least awake. If you want a real launch, just call Janet and Jetpath. Join us next Tuesday where our founder is Chris Cabrera, trailblazing founder and CEO of Exactly. Chris has steered the company to the forefront of the RevOps industry, outmaneuvering giants along the way. We'll be talking about that and also his new book called The Unicorn Fallacy. And next week on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series, we have Reagan Bashara from All Ease Accounting, sharing financial tips, mistakes, and even more to make finance all ease. I'll see you next time. Stay warm out there. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go!